I'm Fulbert Anderson. And I'm Mike Halverson. We're a research team in the Department of History at Pacific Lutheran University in Tacoma, Washington. Welcome to Innovative History, a podcast brought to you by the Innovation Studies Program at PLU. Innovative History shows history in motion and is driven by academic and technological breakthroughs. For this episode, we're investigating how historians are moving forward conversations about business and economic history in the United States, including research and teaching at places like PLU. We're joined today by Dr. Rebecca Mergenthal. Hi, thanks so much for having me on your podcast. Nice to have you here. Rebecca is a historian of 19th century America with a PhD from the University of Chicago. She has taught at PLU since 2008 and is currently chair of the PLU History Department. Rebecca teaches a course that charts the history of capitalism in the U.S. from the Civil War through the era of globalization and has sampled a lot of recent research about our topic. This course also fits nicely into the business and economic history curriculum at PLU as well as our innovation studies program. Our conversation is rooted in intersectional approaches to capitalism that includes and looks beyond champions of industry like Henry Ford. After the short break, we'll learn a bit more about Dr. Mergenthal's work and explore what's innovative about this type of historical storytelling. Traverse the past to understand the present. Innovative History is sponsored by the Pacific Lutheran University History Department. To learn more, visit plu.edu history. Welcome back to Innovative History. We'd like to start by learning a bit more about Dr. Mergenthal. Rebecca, can you tell us where you grew up and went to school? Yeah, I grew up in Minnesota, and I went to college in New York City and then went to Chicago for graduate school. Great, and now you are in the Pacific Northwest teaching history. What kind of things do you do other than teach history, though? What do you do when you're not uh, at school? Well, some things I really like to do are reading mysteries and doing puzzles. Um, I do a lot of gardening and baking as well. Now, wait, so puzzles, does that kind of relate to history in some way? Well, I, th I think it is, actually. Um, history has a lot of the elements of being both a mystery and a puzzle because you're trying to figure out what happened in the past. Great. And so you focus on Pacific Northwest or Western history? Yeah, uh, many of my classes look at U.S. history through different lenses. Um, so I look at Western or Pacific Northwestern history, um, environmental history of the United States, and colonialism and slavery. All right. And you also focus on social history. What does that mean? I think social history is really what ties all of my interests together, uh, both for teaching and research. Uh, social history is an interest in ordinary people and their everyday lives. Okay, not just the great man of history, but... Yeah, it's really developed in the 1970s as a counter to uh, great man history, a traditional history uh, of kings and sort of politicians. It's a way also, I think, for students to consider how their own lives and choices fit within historical developments. Thanks for sharing about your background, Dr. Mergenthal. Mike, can you tell us a bit about how business and economic history and what it is exactly? Of course, yeah, business and economic history is a relatively new subfield of history. It's interested in the study of business organizations and companies, entrepreneurs, workers, products, and consumers, as well as the economic forces that have shaped culture and society. Scholars uh, can assess the business and economic history of really any time period or place, but at PLU, we have focused on the development of capitalism and business structures in Europe and the United States. We explore the formation of modern economies through issues such as trade, labor, monetary systems, and periods of crisis and renewal. Within those themes, what's your specialty? 
My particular uh, interest is in the history of technology, which is closely related to business history in the 20th century, and especially the history of computing in America. Part of this interest came from my early career at Microsoft, where I was one of the first employees working to shape what became known as the PC revolution. And watching the company grow and develop new products and services led to several books and an interest in how rapid technological change impacts consumers and society. Now for you, Rebecca, what's your approach to this? It's a bit different, right? Yeah, my background is really in labor history. So one of the areas I studied a lot in grad school is how workers were shaped by the world and also how workers shaped the world. So that involved thinking about enslaved people and their labor, indentured people, um, and how they move forward. Um, also women working in and outside of the home. Uh, the development of unions was another big subject for me and sort of how the opportunities and challenges for workers as they tried to join with other workers. So my background is really in that sort of people on the ground as workers. That is a form of capitalism history though. So uh, that was really my background coming into this, this class and this topic. Yeah, we make a good team in that way. So why is all of this important? Globally, locally, internationally? I would say that modern multinational corporations have a tremendous impact on society today. And it's not all positive. In the Pacific Northwest, we're surrounded by large technology companies, including Boeing, Amazon, Microsoft, Meta, and a range of biotechnology companies. And many of our students will work for these companies. And it's important for us to understand how they create value, build products, use labor, and contribute to the economy. We also want students to understand the tensions inherent in globalization, consumerism, labor relations, and government regulation. And historians play a big part in this work. They're also assisted by people with a range of specialty fields, including economists, sociologists, entrepreneurs, and people who study ethics. So we can see two ways that both Mike and Rebecca study history here. Mike, you study the history of corporations, and Rebecca, you're fascinated with the history of workers, labor, and their contributions to society. And ultimately, I think these larger themes and subcategories can help us better understand movement, changes over time, and shifts in development, legal changes, and how people are affected then, now, and in the future. And most importantly, I think we need to talk about Rebecca's class, U.S. Capitalism, that she taught this last spring. It's a very innovative approach. Can you tell us more about it? What was going on? What was the structure? Yeah, so this class was a lower division class. Um, so it had a range of students from across the university. Um, and what we were looking at is the development of modern U.S. capitalism. So post-Civil War, starting with the railroads um, and moving on to the current day. Um, an important goal of this course for me was to help students understand capitalism as a contested process. Uh, we did this by both exploring the champions of capitalism, people who were really fully on board, and those who were less happy about the developments. Um, the idea being that we needed to see that um, both of them were shaping how capitalism developed and can keep developing. Yeah, so for example, um, the ones that come to mind, we looked at Ida Tarbell, John D. Rockefeller, Henry Ford, black workers during the Great Migration, and also two very key case studies that framed our entire class, I think. Yeah, so in addition to the overall sweep of the course, one of the things I was really interested in is getting students into specific details of these case studies. So we did a case study on um, the early 1920th century Triangle Shirtwaist factory fire. Uh, we looked at immigrant workers on the Lower East Side of Manhattan, their lives in the factory, their lives as immigrants to the United States, and also um, the terrible tragedy of the fire itself. 
And then we shifted to later in the 20th century to look at uh, the development of franchising, especially for black Americans uh, around the McDonald's franchise, fast food. But we just didn't stick to these books and these sources. What were some of the innovative ones that we used? Well, one of the things I was really interested in is, is helping students think about the cultural impact of capitalism. So to do this, we looked at movies throughout the term, we looked at songs, we looked at poems, we looked at other non-traditional sources as a way to think about um, how capitalism shaped people's lives. Uh, one day we spent uh, looking at the Sears Robot catalog from 1922 and we poured over it, finding all kinds of exciting, <laughs> exciting 1922 inventions, noticing the number of dresses, the styles of dresses, but also um, the kinds of uh, sort of farm implements that were available. Uh, this was a really interesting source. It's a primary source right from the time itself. Um, and it helped us understand the reach of consumption, but also how capitalism was shaping people's everyday lives in this period. You also looked at some secondary sources, isn't that right? Yeah, so uh, Marcia Chatelaine's book, Franchise, The Golden Arches in Black America, was a real crucial one for us to understand um, how f fast food has changed America, but also how America has changed fast food. Um, Chatelaine's book is a really innovative history. Uh, she won the Pulitzer Prize in 2021. Um, and she's offering us a real reframing of the history of fast food. Um, she looks at fast food and franchising for the, the meaning of it for the black franchisees themselves and also the people who consume the food. Yeah, and I think the most important thing about that, one really big concept from the book is economic liberation through a form of capitalism called black capitalism and how McDonald's is an intersectional space or a space that's not just for food and consumption, but also a place for political action, um, environmental history, and social identity. Uh, it sounds like, in addition, McDonald's is a kind of intersectional space uh, so that a range of people can be there at the same time and have different ideas about economics, politics, and identity. And I think students don't necessarily think of consumerism as uh, a place that has multiple dimensions. Yeah, and Rebecca, how do you think this book, in your opinion, helped our class understand capitalism? I think it worked on a couple different levels. One of the things I was interested in is using it as a his secondary source by historians. So um, in the first case study, students had looked at primary sources themselves and analyzed them. So in this case study, we got to look at a historian's work with other primary sources. In addition, it really helped us understand how capitalism is not static, um, because what Fulton mentioned about the uh, black capitalism, right, was a, a permutation of capitalism, a way that had changed and was changed by people to shape their lives and shape their future. And they saw a kind of promise there um, that we might not think about. Another thing that I think students were really struck by is the way that um, the McDonald's shaped or was shaped by uh, the civil rights movement. Yeah, um, I think there's a really good example in Shailene's book about sit-ins and how McDonald's in the 1960s was a place for a different form of political action. The fast food kind of vibe of stopping in or going through the drive-through was not meant for sit-ins, so it changed ultimately how um, civil rights activists in that time approached their methodology and techniques to um, gain access to a segregated space. And that's a really important part for Chatelaine, I think, to show her readers is how um, in an era of segregated restaurants, 
right? The, the liberation, the possibility of going to a restaurant like McDonald's where you didn't have to be separated um, was a kind of uh, sort of possibility for people. Yeah, a possibility for something that's trendy, something that's hip. Um, and as Shailene traces through the book, she finds how McDonald's always finds relevance for black consumers and how they target them with specific advertising and different ways for franchising. Let's stay on this topic of sources for a bit to focus on the really interesting opportunities to do history using the materials of business and economic activity. So in terms of primary sources, we seem to have business records, company memos and reports, maybe about decision-making or product development. And then there are also tax records and other kind of government laws and regulations that have a consequence on economic, economic activity. There are consumer products also and factories that produce them and uh, primary sources that come from supply chain management and other sort of business procedures. And these reveal the consequences of using and creating products, both positive and negative. And I think it's really important for those when we're looking for primary sources, we're looking for any trace from the past that remains. And that helps us tell those stories about what happened. Um, in my own research, um, I look at the lower Missouri River Valley in the first half of the 19th century, and I track the use of the river through steamboat bills of lading, which list all the things that got on the ships, right? They weren't like, let me create this document for a future historian, Rebecca Mergenthal, right? They were just tracking what the goods and goods were going on the river. And I can use that, though, to understand these people's lives and the sort of that kind of transportation network meant to them. Yeah, and I think these culminations of the traces of the past are ultimately secondary sources. They're books, articles about specific segments of the economy and different industries. So within kind of media and also innovative sources, we can think about different approaches to traditionally marginalized folks like Roberta Williams of Sierra Online and the history of adventure and interactive video games. Or even on a different lens, um, the maritime economies of indigenous folks in the Pacific Northwest. And also, of course, there's books about influential figures like Adam Smith, Henry Ford, or Karl Marx, that really focus on how their ideology shapes social dynamics like poverty, homelessness, and the rise of the super-rich in America. But what other sorts of sources are innovative or unique? Well, one of the things I tried to do in the U.S. capitalism class when we were looking at, at modern U.S. capitalism is thinking about how we could use visual materials. So when we were looking at the history of the Great Migration, the movement of black workers from the South to the North, um, we looked at a lot of photographs. We looked at artistic rendi renditions of the artistic renditions of uh, this movement. And we looked at promotion posters, right? So all kinds of ways we could understand these stories and these people and their experience. There are thousands of companies working in the United States today, and collectively, they produce a lot of revenue, they have a lot of expenses, and they drive a lot of economic activity. And one useful skill for studying that type of activity is knowing a little bit about uh, statistics and uh, mathematics and really using computing to uh, do that kind of calculation. So if you're listening to this and wondering if economic history would be interesting for you, one way of doing that is to uh, kind of decide, hey, I like history, but I also have some quantitative skills like st statistics or mathematics, because historians really use both those. And another approach I think we can look at, of course, which we talked a little bit about earlier, is qualitative approaches to creative pieces. So we can think about like a meta-analysis meta of genre in Marvel movies and how 
like we can look at the different cuts, the different framing, and the different colors that are used by directors and different sorts of filmmakers to really show what a movie is and how it fits within the dynamic of capitalism. All right, we've reached the time in our program in which we ask our guest what new directions they think this field will take, maybe new ways that teaching or research will evolve in business and economic history. So, Rebecca, we want to thank you for coming and ask you, in what ways do you think this field will change in the future? Well, having taught this class on modern U.S. capitalism, um, I learned again or relearned how important it is to so many people, both historically and currently, and it shapes lives today and moving forward. Um, I'm really looking forward to teaching the class again, adjusting things, and really featuring a range of voices, historically from a range of historians, but also a range of students to help them see how understanding how capitalism has developed can help them understand how to operate in the world. Well, thank you. Uh, We wish you well, and we're really grateful that you were able to come to uh, this podcast. I wanted to say uh, my thought about the future relates to uh, what we're doing this fall at PLU. We're having a guest lecturer, Glory Liu of Johns Hopkins University, to come and present the 17th Dale Benson Lecture in Business and Economic History. And that's something that we do on our campus to keep the conversation about business and economic history alive and and constantly changing. Uh, Dr. Liu's lecture is going to explore the legacy of Adam Smith in the United States and how the influence of Smith's ideas continue to influence American political thought and culture. Um, The events related to Liu's recent book, Adam Smith's America, How a Scottish Philosopher Became an Icon of American Capitalism, It's been winning awards. Uh, It came out from Princeton University Press in 2022. And Lou's argument basically is that Smith's economic ideas have been used and reimagined over the past two centuries in America, so that by now we have thinkers on the political right and the political left who appeal to Adam Smith's authority. And this kind of research is really innovative. It's especially important for students to hear and encounter because It shows how these economic ideas change over time and have great power, and they can be massaged into entirely new positions over time. So we're excited about that as an example of something new. Fulton, we want to ask you the same question. What do you see coming in business and economic history? I see further investigations into uh, video game marketplace and video game industry, specifically in relation to like LGBTQ and pride advertising and marketing within these game worlds and how they produce skins or different artifacts for players to interact with and how these industries are established, why they exist, and how they change over time. Because in the last 10 to 15 years, there's been a massive shift within online gaming to have characters represent their identities and see how that um, creates identities in virtual game worlds and also for developers to connect with their players in certain ways. Yeah, an important aspect about Capitalism is certainly consumer behavior, and consumers will continue to press, along with workers, the companies that they're connected to and the products that they buy. Well, we're thankful that you've spent some time listening to us again here at Innovative History, and we thank you for attending our lecture. Yeah, And and thank you so much for having me. It's been a great pleasure. Yeah, it's awesome to have you on the podcast, Dr. Mergenthal. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Rebecca.
Innovative History is produced and recorded in association with the Pacific Lutheran University Innovation Studies Program in the Robert A. L. Mortvet Library. All music written and recorded by Felix Halverson. I, Fulton, served as the editor of the podcast. Special thanks to Dr. Rebecca Mergenthal, the Benson Family Foundation, and the Department of History at PLU.